I am so proud of you and of the impact that you're making in our community and all around the world. For those of you who are new to Sagebrush, we had a capital campaign. We started in December, ends this December, called our M1 Capital Campaign. We were going to launch 50-some-odd churches. It was 52, then it was 53, then it was 54 uh, churches over the course of this year all around the world. And we asked people to give above and beyond their normal tithes and offerings. And you guys have so far given over $3 million dollars and we're up to church number 60, which we're pretty excited about. 60 churches in one year. There's not many churches that could brag about something like that. So way to go, Sagebrush, for being faithful. I want to give you an update, of course, to the M1 campaign. So take a look at this. It's been nearly 11 months since we began our M1 Capital Campaign, and the outpouring of financial support that has been received has been absolutely incredible. All across the world, lives are being changed simply because you saw a need and decided to take action. Here is a glimpse into some of the projects that have either been accomplished or are currently being worked on right now. This youth outreach sports complex at the Pocho Cuape Nicaragua Church is officially complete. This complex is used for a number of things, ranging from sports to community events to holding church services. Thanks to your financial contributions, lives are forever being changed in Pocho Cuape, Nicaragua. In Kenya, this center is fully funded and built. It's been a huge help to the community, especially the children, because it's able to be used to attend school during the week and double as a choir room on Saturdays. On Sundays, this same building is where the local church holds their services. We are excited to report that the M1 Capital Campaign was able to help construction begin on a brand new classroom and church facility, as well as a new sports facility in Petroka, Madagascar. The leaders are doing an excellent job being in the community, helping the people of this community, and sharing the love of Jesus with all. There are many other M1 projects happening in Asia, Africa, and Latin America. Visit m1.sagebrush.church or on the Sagebrush app to find out more about them today. God has given each of us the opportunity to share his word, gift, and light across the world. Once again, we want to say thank you for deciding to be a part of such a special mission, one that will change the lives and futures of so many people all around the world. Friends, friends that's the way you escape ordinary. Be a part of something that's bigger than yourself. We've been talking about escaping ordinary for the past couple of weeks, and so far I've given you two secret ingredients. The first secret ingredient is you got to pray. You got to pray like you've never prayed before. You got to ask God to intervene in your situation. Ask God to intervene in your marriage. Ask God to intervene in your singleness. Ask God to intervene in your job. He's the one who takes the ordinary and makes it extraordinary. And one of the things we talked about in this series is how in the world do we expect to live an extraordinary life apart from God? We've got to rely upon Him. We've got to lean on Him. We said the situation is desperate, but the problem is, is that we're not. So I gave you a homework assignment, if you remember. You were going to schedule 10 minutes a day where you're going to spend time in the Word of God and you're going to spend time praying. So I hope that you've kept that appointment up. And if you haven't started that yet, set the appointment on your smartphone and get that going. And then last week we talked about the fact that we're better together. That we're a group of people who have come together to lock arms to kick down the very gates of hell. And we talked about it when we try to do the Christian life in isolation. 
that our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's looking for the stray. He's looking for the straggler. He's looking for the one who thinks they can handle life on their own. Friends, we need each other. We need each other to encourage each other, to love one another, to pray for one another, to comfort one another, to come alongside one another. And so we said the church isn't a building. The church is the people. The people knowing each other and caring for each other and going and advancing the kingdom of God together. And so we begged you, we pleaded with you, get into a ministry. We said, get into a small group. And we talked about the Sagebrush app. We're making this so easy for you to sign up or just show up to a small group. Kid care is available. It's absolutely free to you as well on all of our different campuses. Friends, you want to live an extraordinary life? Those are two of the secret ingredients. Now let me give you secret ingredient number three. Daniel Overdoor tells the story of a Haitian by the name of Miltador. Uh, Miltador is very, very poor, as most Haitians are, but he has one thing going for him that other Haitians don't have. He owns a cow. Now, he earned this cow by working for a farmer over the course of several years, and the farmer breeds the cows, and he got a calf as a result. So he's raised this calf, fed this calf, taken care of this calf. This calf provides so much for his family, provides milk, eventually will be breeding that cow, and it will also have offspring so they can sell those cows. So this is a very big deal. This is his chance to leave poverty behind. Well, Miltador is the kind of guy who's really fired up for Jesus. Brand new Christian, been a Christian three, four years. He's the kind of guy who says, you know, if God's word says it, that's what I'm going to do. Not going to question it, not going to doubt it, not going to argue with it. I'm not going to ignore it. If God's word says that's what we're supposed to do, then that's what I'm going to do. Well, Miltador goes to a small group, and his leader, as his name is Paul, and they came upon a passage of scripture in 1 John chapter 3. And Paul was a little bit hesitant to share this passage with the Haitian people. This is what the passage of scripture says. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay our lives down for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need. But has no pity on him. How can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in the truth. Well, Paul's struggling about this. He, said, he thinks to himself, well, the Haitians, they don't have very much. They, they, they're already very, very poor. I don't know how this passage of Scripture could apply to their life. And then Paul thought to himself, if there's a group of people that need this passage of Scripture, it's American Christians. I mean, my goodness, we got so much stuff, we don't even know what to do with our stuff. Some of you got so much stuff, it's in your garages. And there's so much stuff in your garage that you can't park your car into your garage because you got so much stuff. And the stuff in your garage is worth less than that nice car you've got outside the garage. You understand what I'm saying? That's how wiggity-wack we are. And some of us are like, oh, I got to get this, got to get my car into the garage because Albuquerque, I don't know if folks in Belize know this, but it's kind of like a, a car thieving place. I'll just tell you that right now. You don't want to leave your truck outside. You understand what I'm saying? And, and so you got, oh, I got to get this thing in the, inside in the garage. That's what you got to do. And so what do you do? You go and you rent a storage shed, storage 
facility to handle all the stuff that you don't care about and you pay hundreds of dollars every month to store your stuff. Did you know that the storage industry is a $24 billion industry? That's how much stuff Americans have. We got so much stuff, we don't know what to do with the stuff, so we pay someone else to take care of our stuff. $24 billion. Paul thinks to himself, this is ridiculous. Haitian people, they don't have anything. I'm not going to share this passage of Scripture with them. I'm not going to burden them with this. But the Holy Spirit of God got a hold of him. And Paul said, no, I need to share it for two reasons. One, it's the Word of God. And the second reason is poor people have the same opportunity to be generous just like anybody else. And when you're generous with somebody else, boy, it makes a difference in your life. And so he said, I'm going I'm to preach this passage of Scripture in the small group. And, and so he did. Well, a week or two goes by. And they're getting ready to have small group again. And Paul, just in passing, asked Miltador, he says, how's that cow yours? And Miltador says, I don't, I don't have the cow anymore. Paul says, well, what do, you, what, do you, what do you mean you don't have the cow? Did the cow die? Did the cow get sick? the cow wander away? What's going on with the cow? He said, I sold the cow. Paul said, why in the world did you sell the cow? He said, a few weeks ago, the Bible said that if I saw a brother in need and I had material possessions to help that brother out, I should sell what I have to help my brother out. And then he said this, my brother's very sick. He can't afford to go to a doctor. And so after hearing what God wanted me to do, I knew he wanted me to sell that cow. And so I did, and I gave him that money so now he can go and he can see a doctor. You want to live an extraordinary life? You want to, you want to outrun ordinary? Move from selfish to selfless. See a need and meet the need. If God has given you and God has blessed you in such a way that you can be a blessing to others, then be a blessing to others. So we're going through the book of Acts, right? So now we're up to Acts chapter 3. And what we find in Acts chapter 3 is that two of the disciples are heading to the temple. Let's look at it. It says, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, 3 in the afternoon. Now a man, crippled from birth, was being carried to the temple called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. So here's what's interesting. Peter and John are going to the temple to pray. Now here's the question. Why are they going to the temple to pray? Because you can pray anytime you want. You can pray 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You don't have to go to the temple to pray. And Peter and John know that. So why are they going to the temple to pray? Because that's where the people were. Because that's where the need was. I, I remember when I was a student pastor years ago, I would do campus ministry. And we would tell the students what campuses we were going to be at. Sometimes we had the opportunity to go to lunch, have lunch with the students. Sometimes we'd meet them after school, play flag football or basketball or something like that. And we always would invite kids to come to church afterwards. And it was a great time. And I talked to my students. I said, listen, whenever I'm on the campus, you know, whether it's for lunch or after school, whether I'm coming to your football game, your baseball game, whatever it might be, after the game is over, after whatever you're participating in is over, make sure you come up and say hello to me. Don't be embarrassed of me. And introduce me to a couple of your friends. And so my students did this all of the time. And as a result, we had a highly successful campus ministry. In fact, our campus ministry was so successful that I got kicked off of one of the middle school campuses. 
And this is why I got kicked off the middle school campus. I'm at Madison Middle School. True story. Happened a couple of decades ago. I'm at Madison Middle School. And they have a, an area where you have the bell ring. And then the kids walk past basketball courts. And then the buses are all lined up right here. Well, I positioned myself when the bell rang right in the middle of the basketball courts. Well, our kids were so fired up for Jesus and so excited about telling other kids about what we were doing in our church. I mean, we had 1,100 teenagers coming every single week. It was unbelievable. It was a move of God. It was incredible. And so I'm at the basketball court. And three, I kid you not, three, four hundred kids begin to gather around where I'm at. I think I'm Elvis in the 50s. You know what I'm saying? I'm a new kid on the block. You know, I'm boys to men. I'm all these. I mean, it has come on me. And the principal got mad. She said, every time you come to our campus, the kids want to say hello to you. They don't get on the buses. And now the buses are late. So I'm kicking you off this campus. I said, you've got to be kidding me right now. She said, you're gone. Felt like I was in a baseball game. You're out of here. There was a park across the street. <laughs> Public park. So I told my students where I would be. And I said, you want to play flag football? Come across the street, play flag football. And then we made signs say, see you tonight at X Factor. And the buses would drive by and the kids would be waving out the way. Why did I go to those schools? Because that's where the need was. One of the things that always shocked me is that out of all my years of doing student ministry, I was the only student pastor that ever showed up at a school. And it never made any sense to me why we wouldn't put ourselves in a place where there's need. So let's ask ourselves a question. Where's the need that you see around you? Because that coworker that you work with that's far away from Jesus, they need you. That one life that needs to be pointed to the one hope needs you. Let me, let me talk to the teenagers for just a second. That kid who's sitting next to you in your class, they need Jesus. And they need you to live for Jesus. And they need to see the difference that Jesus has made in your life. And as the Holy Spirit gives you opportunity, you need to share the difference that Jesus has made. At the very least, you need to invite him to church. Hey, hey, student, that baseball team you're on, that choir that you sing in, that band that you perform with, all those people, God has placed you in the center of that to be a light in a dark place, to shine for Jesus Christ. And parents, when you're on the sidelines on a Saturday morning, it's freezing cold outside, and you're watching kids kick a ball from one side of the field to the other side of the field, soccer, it's the most boring thing ever. I just tell you that right now. All my friends in Belize are mad at me right now, but that's the truth. It's just, what, what's up with offsides? It makes no sense to me at all. It makes no sense. Do you know you're not only there to cheer your kids on to victory or to console them in defeat? You're there to be a light on the sidelines. Because all those parents you're rubbing shoulders with, those are opportunities. Those are people. Let me explain something. Ordinary people have ordinary conversations about superficial things. Extraordinary people have extraordinary conversations about extraordinary things. And they live with this reality that there really is a heaven and there really is a hell and people really are going to go to one place or the other. And so they, they spend everything that they've got. They spend all their time and energy and efforts in reaching one more person for Jesus Christ. I, I mean, they understand what's at stake. 
So Peter and John are thinking, how are we going to spread the message of Jesus? We need to go where the people are. So they go to the temple and they're going to pray. And when they get there, they encounter a man who has been crippled for 40 years. In fact, the Bible tells us that this man has been crippled from birth. Now, 40 years is a long, long time. I thought we'd have a little bit of fun. We're going to go back 40 years, all right? 40 years ago, it's 1982. How many of you were alive back in 1982? Put your hands up. You are old farts. You understand that? My hand's up, too, so I'm farting with you, okay? We're all together on that, all right? How many of you were not born in 1982? Just put your hands up real high. Yeah, we don't like you at all. And one day, 20 years from now, there'll be another sermon you'll be sitting in for 40 years, and then you'll feel old like we do right now, okay? That's just the way it's going to work. Ready for this? 1982, the number one song on the radio was Physical by Olivia Newton-John. We're not going to sing that, all right? The number one movie, E.T. Phone Home, Elliot. Yeah. You ready for this one? The Dow Jones closed at 1,046 points 40 years ago. How about that for crazy? Interest rates were 11.5%. You think interest rates are bad now? I remember when Christy and I first got married, we were trying to get a loan on our house. You were lucky to get one under 9%. And yet we're freaking out over the interest rates. And maybe we should. It was 2% just a little while ago, so I would be upset as well. Okay, moving on. Uh, average cost of a new home, $82,200. I'd say inflation's uh, alive and well. Average income was $21,050. Cost of a gallon of gas, $1.22. Gas was high back then. <laughs> Wasn't high a few years ago, but whatever. I'm not going there at all. I'm just moving on. Just tired of paying $100 when I fill up. All right, moving on here. Uh, new car, average price, $7,983. 1982, the first issue of the USA Today was published, and Disney opened the doors to Epcot. <laughs> 40 years is a long time. A lot has changed in 40 years. But for this guy, not a lot did change. Because every day somebody had to come, somebody had to pick him up, somebody had to take him to the gate by the temple, and he would sit there and he would beg all day long. And that was his life day after day after day. Somebody would wake him up, they'd get him dressed, get him cleaned up as much as they could, set him by the gate, hope that somebody would have mercy upon him. Somebody would give him something so he could survive. And he did this day after day after day for 40 years. Now, what he's used to is people walking by him. He's used to people just ignoring him. People that, you know, act like he doesn't even exist. You know what I'm saying? Peter and John do something interesting. Verse 4 says, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. The Phillips translation says this, Peter looked intensely at the man. That, that's not what he's, he's used to seeing. He's not used to seeing someone looking to him with eyes of compassion, noticing him, entering into his world. Friends, you want to be ex extraordinary? Write this down. Be willing to see the needs around you. Be like Jesus. Because that's what he did. He saw the needs of the blind, the deaf, the mute, the lame, the crippled. He, he saw the needs of the businessman. Remember the rich young ruler? who had everything money could buy, but he was still empty, Jesus saw his spiritual need. 
He saw the need of the person who felt unbelievable shame. Remember the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery? Jesus said, listen, you guys who want to kill her, if you're without sin, you feel free to throw the first stone. And they all left, except for Jesus. He said, where are your accusers? Is no one here to accuse you? She said, no one, sir. And Jesus said these beautiful words, neither do I. Now go and leave your life of sin. God has a better plan for your life. It was the outcasts that Jesus reached out to, the, the social misfits, the ones who thought they were too far gone, too messed up. Jesus saw their need and he loved them. And friends, what I want to tell you is, is that Jesus sees your needs. Jesus sees what you're facing. Jesus sees what you're going through. Jesus wants to help you through all of that. You don't have to face any of this on your own. He is more than able to do exceedingly, abundantly more in your life than anything you've ever dreamed or imagined. And he wants you to take those blessings that he's given you, and he wants you to pass those on to bless somebody else. Are you willing to see the needs that are all around you? Because that coworker could use a friend. That coworker could have would be willing to have a conversation that's deeper than how the Dallas Cowboys are doing this year. And by the way, they're doing quite well. You say praise God, I say that's, um, that's unfortunate. That's what I say. I mean, it's, but I appreciate you giving all honor to God, I tell you that right now. That's a true cowboy fan. He's on his knees for his team. That's the way it is. The relative that calls you on the phone and you see the caller ID and you're like, oof. They need you to be Jesus to them. And what do we say around here? If that person doesn't say about you that you love them more than anybody else they know, then you failed them. So that person that you cringe when you look and, oh, there they are. And if you don't know who that person is, people are doing that to you. I just want to make sure you understand that. <laughs> you see the need? Because all of you have relatives that don't have a relationship with Jesus. And they're all watching you. And they want to see if you can love them with an in spite of kind of love. And if you'll keep showing up. They want to see if you're going to treat them with judgment and condemnation and with disgust. They want to see if you're going to treat them with love and grace and truth. Do you see the need? That teenage daughter, your teenage son who says they don't want anything to do with you. You know what they really want? They want a night out with you, just one-on-one. -on -one. What's really going on with you? What's happening in your life? Tell me what's happening. You don't have to carry the burden alone. The friend with the unexpected pregnancy, the person who finds themselves in financial difficulties, the, the person who finds themselves addicted to alcohol or to drugs or to porn or whatever the addiction is, they need a friend. They need someone who will enter into their world and carry the burden with them. The person who just got the diagnosis from a doctor and it's not good news. 
They need someone who will come alongside them and actually pray with them and pick up their burden and carry them along the way. You have to be willing to see the needs that are around you if you're going to be an extraordinary person. Because ordinary people could care less. Ordinary people blow people off. Ordinary people don't want to get involved. Ordinary people don't love the way we've talked about. You've got to be willing to see the need. Then secondly, you've got to be willing to share what you have. So Peter and John look right in this man's eyes. And I'm certain the crippled man thinking, finally, I'm going to get some money here. This is great. Then Peter lets him down and says, listen, I don't have any money. He says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I will give you. Write this down if you're taking notes. The measure of compassion is not how you feel, it's what you do. Because we all have feelings of compassion, but that doesn't mean we're compassionate. doesn't mean that we've done anything. Just because you feel compassionate, it's all about what you do. That's the measure of compassion. Came across a story this past week. I thought it was great. The guy's name was Chris Hogan. He's the head football coach of Grapevine Faith Christian School in Grapevine, Texas. Every year, his team plays the Gainesville State School. It's a maximum security correctional facility, 75 miles north of Dallas. Every year they play them. These kids have messed up and messed up bad. Whatever they've done, they're now in a maximum security prison for juveniles. Fourteen of those kids who are fortunate enough to play football get to be a part of a team. Every single game that they have is a road game. They don't have cheerleaders in the stands cheering them on. They don't have doting parents wearing their jerseys with their names on them, cheering them from the stands. No, what they do is they get bust into the game, and 12 police officers with weapons follow them wherever they go. Well, they played them for several years, and Chris's heart went out to these kids every year. And so he decided to do something different on this particular year. He sent an email out to what they called the faithful of Grapevine. Grapevine faith, the faithful. He said, I want you to treat these Gainesville players like they're worth something. Like they're the most valuable people on the face of the earth. Now you would think that that would be a no-brainer and that that Christian community would just say, hey, let's do it. But they got pushback for that. There were people who got mad, and they even wrote the coach, and they, they called the coach and said, why in the world would we do it for them? Chris didn't back down. He said, well, I'll tell you why we do it for them. They don't have a home. They don't have a support system. Can you imagine not having a support system, not having a mom or a dad that care about you, not having anybody who's cheered you on? And now imagine all of a sudden you come to a stadium, and everybody's glad that you're there, and they're showing you value. Well, the faithful caught on to what the coach was wanting to do. And so here's what they did. I thought it was really cool. So when the Grapevine uh, football team came out and, and then the Gainesville football team came out, the Gainesville kids, those 14 kids, there was a spirit line 40 yards long from the Grapevine fans. And at the end was a banner that they could break through. They had never run through a banner before in their entire life. They ran down that spirit line, high five, and every single person, they were absolutely blown away. And then when they got over to their bench, they were shocked that half of the faithful cheerleaders were behind them cheering them on. And that half of the crowd was sitting behind them in the bleachers cheering them on. You ready for this? By name. 
They played like they'd never played before in their entire lives. And they kept their perfect season intact. They lost again. They're 0-9. But even though they lost another game, do you know what those kids did? At the end of the game, they gave their coach a Gatorade bath. And they celebrated like they just won the Super Bowl. And then after the game, they were invited to come to the 50-yard line and pray. And everybody was shocked when the quarterback of the Gainesville Tornadoes asked if he could say the prayer. This is what he said. Lord, I don't know how this happened, so I don't know how to say thank you. But I never would have known there were so many people in the world that cared about us. And when the game was over and they got showered and they were ready to go back on their bus to head back to the prison, they gave every one of those kids a hamburger, some chips, a drink, some candy, and a Bible. And they also gave them a letter from each of the faithful football players that they had just played against, telling them that they believed in them and that God had an amazing plan for their life. Friends, that coach gave what he had didn't he? Peter said, I don't have a nickel to my name, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus, you walk. <laughs> legs that were crippled, legs that were weak, were now straight and strong. And he began to jump, and he began to dance, and the people were astonished. They gave what they had. Now, unfortunately, I think most of us don't have the gift of healing. You're not going to be able to say, in the name of Jesus, walk. I don't think that's going to happen for you. But what do you have? Because if you see your brother in need and you don't help him, can the love of Christ really be in you? So you say you don't want to live an ordinary life anymore. You don't want to be bored with one day looking like the next day and the next day and then a week goes by, then a month goes by, then a year goes. You want to be extraordinary? See a need, meet a need. Love people like they've never been loved before. Come into their world. Give them a shoulder to help along the way. So here's your homework assignment if you choose to accept it. Find a need. It can be in your own home. You can walk home, to, not walk home, drive home tonight and then you can look around and say what needs to be done. You know, what I love to see in our church is that we're such servants that it's just natural to us. That we don't, we don't settle for just doing acts of service, but that we're actually servants. So that we walk into a room and we're already seeing needs. We're having conversations and we're already seeing needs. And then we know that the Holy Spirit of God has placed us there for such a time as this as to meet that need to help somebody else along the way. And you don't see it as a burden. You see it as being the hands and the feet of Jesus. I read a story this past week about a young man named Sadhu Sanar. He was a Hindu convert to Christ. He wanted to be a missionary to India. So late one afternoon, he's traveling through the Himalaya mountains with a Buddhist monk. It was bitterly cold. They're walking through the Himalayas. The Buddhist monk turns to him and says, here's the deal, dude. If we don't get back to the monastery as quickly as we possibly can, the temperatures are going to dip down when that sun goes down, and we're all going to freeze to death. 
So we need to pick up our pace. So they're walking down this real narrow path in the Himalayan mountains trying to get up to this monastery where they're going to spend the night. And all of a sudden they hear a cry of someone. And both of them look over the edge and they see that a hiker before them has fallen off the trail and fallen several feet to the ground and is severely hurt. This is what the Buddhist monk said. He said he sealed his own fate. God has determined that this is his day to die. We cannot do anything about that. We need to move on. We need to quicken our pace. Sadhu said that he couldn't do that. He couldn't leave somebody like this behind. So the Buddhist monk went on. He climbed down the side of the mountain, got to where the man was. His leg was severely broken. In his backpack, he had a blanket, so he made some kind of makeshift kind of thing, and he put it around his back, and he picked up the man on his back, and he began to carry him up the mountain, one grueling step after the other, after the other, after the other. Well, it slowed him down, and he had to stop several times. Sun went down, temperature went down. He just continued trudging through the snow, trying to get to that monastery. He's about 400 yards away, and he trips over a man who's in the snow, frozen to death. Guess who it was? It was the Buddhist monk. You see, in helping that man, you ready for this? He helped himself. Because the body temperature between the two of them kept him warm enough to survive the night. When you're the hands and feet of Jesus, you don't see other people as some kind of a burden. You see them as a blessing to help because somebody else along the way helped you. And now you have the opportunity to be a blessing to somebody else. Sadahu was asked the question, what is life's most difficult task? And without hesitation, he said this, to have no burden to carry. You want to live an extraordinary life? See a need. Meet a need. Because that's when the ordinary becomes extraordinary. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm proud of what we're doing together as a church. We see needs. We meet needs. Lord, we saw in the song earlier, the video that we've seen, the 60 churches that we've had the opportunity and privilege to start this past year. You've been so good to us. And corporately, Lord, we're, we're trying to do our very best to be honoring of your mission and of your call. But Lord, you've also placed us individually in places all around this city, all around the state, all around the world. Help us to see needs. Help us not to just do acts of service from time to time, but to be servants, to walk into a room and say, how can I be the hands and feet of you? Lord, I pray that we would want to walk in your footsteps. Lord, that you would take our ordinary life and you'd make it extraordinary. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.